Yes, we were made for love. The question is, what do you love? Our habits, our routines, and our rituals, they get a hold of our heart and they aim our love. Is your love aimed at the Lord or does it land somewhere else? If like me, you would confess and you discover that uh, perhaps my love is aimed somewhere other than the Lord. There is hope. And here's some good news. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning, Point family. Happy Sunday. It can be raining out there and it can still be a happy Sunday. So uh, a lot of you I know, those of you that I don't know, my name is Adam. And because a lot of us around here are named Adam, it's important for me to continue to remind you that I'm Vicar Adam. I'm not Pastor Adam. Pastor Adam is with us this morning, but I'm somebody different entirely. So whether you did make it your way through the rain, you join us in this beautiful and historic church in downtown Knoxville, or you're watching on live stream, I'm really glad you're with us this morning. We do continue our worship at this time in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So last week, Pastor Adam was with you and he introduced a sermon series entitled Made for Love. The idea that we were created in God's image and made or designed to love. So my question for you this morning as a follow-up to that is, what do you love? And how do we determine exactly what it is that we love? You may say, come on, Adam, that's kind of a silly question. I think I know what I love. Well, maybe you do, or maybe your habits, your routines, and your rituals tell a different story. In his book entitled, You Are What You Love, James Smith says this about us as Christians. There is a gap between what we think we love and what we really love. I may think I like vegetables and fruit, but all of you all in this shrinking shirt know that I like carbs and chocolate. (laughs) So Smith discusses in his book what he calls these unconscious loves, the things that we do that are kind of second nature without even thinking about it. Breathing, blinking, perhaps you've driven somewhere recently from work to the grocery store, from the grocery store back home, and you're sitting behind the wheel of the car and you're wondering, how did I just get here? I don't remember a single detail from the trip on my way, and that's kind of scary. Some of you with teenage drivers, this doesn't apply to you because you remember every bump, every turn, every near miss, every almost wreck along the way. But for the seasoned driver that arrives almost unconsciously, Psychologists call this the adaptive unconscious or automaticities. It's important for us in answering the question that I asked you, what do you love, to do kind of an audit of our actions, an inventory of our involvements, 
in our idols, to recognize our rituals in our routines. And it's not something that can be done quickly or flippantly. It's a lot of self-reflection, a lot of prayer. It takes a lot of maturity, it takes a lot of humility to determine, if, if the, to ask ourselves the question, are the thing, what are the things that we're doing, doing to us? Ultimately, do they feel us or do they feed us as they should? Or do we have idols in our lives, something or someone else other than God? Are we intentionally or maybe even unconsciously worshiping idols? When my wife and I started dating in high school, I was 15 years old and I invited her over to my house for the first time. Now, my room was over the garage, but it connected to my mom's house through the kitchen, and it was an awesome room. I had two couches, a bed, a TV, plenty of storage for all of my stuff. Uh, and while I was on one part of the house, my younger brothers and sisters were on the other side of the house, huddled in one hallway, but I kind of had my own space. So in this great room of mine, I held great treasures. There was an enormous Elvis collection. I don't know if you knew this about me, but I am a huge Elvis fan. I was born... That deserves a round of applause, absolutely. So I was born three years after Elvis died, but I was absolutely obsessed with everything Elvis and Elvis collectibles as a younger man. So naturally, my room was decorated from floor to ceiling with every form of Elvis paraphernalia that was ever produced. On my floorboards, I had lined up all of my Elvis cassettes and CDs, because I'm that old. And I had posters on the wall, and I had cutouts. And on the top of my dresser, I had Elvis rings, and necklaces, and collectible cards, and Elvis ashtray and a lighter, and I didn't even smoke. And I had Elvis cologne. Yes, Adam, it was nasty. <laughs> So climbing the stairs to my room, I turn around to showcase my things, only to see the absolute shock and horror on Amber's face. <laughs> and why she didn't run in that moment, I have no idea. I mean, ladies, can you imagine walking in and seeing a shrine to a singer like this? Like, good gracious. See, I idolized Elvis, and I can't even begin to think about the time and energy and money I put in to this uh, being a fan of Elvis. I listened to all the songs, I memorized most of the interviews, I watched all of the movies, the terrible, terrible movies, and I even asked my dad to take me to Graceland in Memphis. See, I wanted to walk through those famous gates. I wanted to stand beside the cars that Elvis drove. I wanted to put my hand on the kitchen counter with a king set and ate peanut butter and banana sandwiches. So, my dad drives me across the state. We buy tickets. If you haven't been there, you buy tickets on one side of Elvis Presley Boulevard and the tour bus takes you to the other side. So we buy tickets, the tour bus deposits us right in front of the house and we stand in front of Graceland and I say, that just kind of looks like a house. <laughs> And it was a bit of a letdown. I did enjoy touring the property in the museums, but even at that younger age, I thought about all the time and money I had spent and how wrapped up I had become 
and I felt a bit foolish for being so fanatical about it. Perhaps like me, you would confess that you have false idols in your life, things that you worship that maybe, as James Smith suggests, without even realizing it. Those of us with kids would say that kids are wonderful most of the time, and Scripture does tell us that kids are a blessing, so we can't worship or idolize our kids, our blessing, right? Absolutely we can. We pour all of our time and attention and love and energy and emotion and money into our kids, and often they're unappreciative and ungrateful. The music lessons, travel sports, competitive cheer and dance, elaborate vacations and entertainment. And not only do they not become appreciative or, or recognize what we're doing, we allow the children's schedule to dictate our schedule, where we're gonna to go to church, when we're gonna to go to church. I've been so guilty of this in the past Pastor Adam will say, hey, you want to come over Saturday for a bonfire, or are you going to be there on Sunday? So I'd really love to, but it's travel baseball season, so I'm going to see you real soon. I'll see you uh, in the fall when all that's done. Trying so hard to be the cool parent, we elevate our relationship with our children above our relationship with God. Some parents can't say no, so they come and they sacrifice everything at the altar of their children. What about if you don't have kids consuming? We are, after all, a nation of consumers, right? So when the newest gadget is released, we go to the temple that is our local shopping mall with cash in hand, and we're ready. We tell ourselves, if we just had that new phone, if we just had some nicer clothes, we'd be fulfilled, we'd fit in, and we'd feel better. But here's what I've learned. The reality is, phones break, clothing tears. Both will leave us unfulfilled if we pay for what God gives us freely. See, worshiping something other than God, it's not a new concept. This has been going on for quite a while. Certainly takes place in the Bible. There's the worship of idols. The most well-known is probably the account of the golden calf in the book of Exodus. So that's going to be our reading this morning. It's from Exodus 32, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. Exodus is in the Old Testament, way at the beginning of the Bible. It's the second book of the Bible. It's in page 90 if you're using a pew Bible. You can use your phone or uh, another Bible if you want. But before we get to Exodus 32, I'm going to give you the quickest rundown. You're going to fuss at me for being out of frame, I know. You're going to give me the quickest, I'm going to give you the quickest rundown of Exodus you've ever had, so buckle up. In Exodus, we're introduced to Moses in the early part of the book. God's, slave, God's people are slaves in Egypt, and they're being oppressed by Pharaoh. And despite Pharaoh's command that all Hebrew boys be killed, Moses survives by being placed as a baby in a basket and floated down the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter is actually the one who finds Moses, rescues him, adopts him, raises him. She names him Moses because she said, I drew him out of water. 
When Moses sees the way that God's people are being treated, specifically when he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, he does what any reasonable person would do, and he murders the Egyptian. He then proceeds to hide the body in the sand to try to get away with it. So by a show of hands, who knew that Moses was a murderer? All right, most of you. And Noah is a drunk, but I digress. So Moses is found out, he flees. In chapter three, God comes to Moses in a burning bush. God tells Moses that he is gonna lead his people out of Egypt. Moses says, oh no, not me, because I don't talk good. He finally uh, is obedient. He goes to Pharaoh, he asks for the release of God's people. Pharaoh says, I don't think so. So 10 plagues ensue, ending with the death of the firstborn in all of Egypt. Pharaoh finally gives up, he says, fine, take him. He's going to quickly change his mind. But Moses leads God's people out of Egypt. With the help of God, Moses leads them through the Red Sea, not around it, not near it, but through it on dry land. God parts the Red Sea, closes the Red Sea on the Egyptians, they're drowned. Along the way, God feeds his people manna from heaven, gives them water for a rock. They arrive at Mount Sinai, where there's a tabernacle that's built, and Moses is given the Ten Commandments. All right. So that's the background to coming to chapter 32. In chapter 32, we're going to begin by seeing God's people who uh, are impatient. They're unwilling to wait any longer on Moses, who had gone to the top of Mount Sinai to be with the Lord. So while Moses is away, the cats will play. Leaders take matters into their own hands. Aaron, who is Moses' brother, caves to the pressure and authorizes the casting of this golden calf to be worshipped. So that brings us to Exodus 32. Verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So pause there for a second. Interrupting his own instruction to Moses, God begins to tell Moses about what's going down at the bottom of the mountain. He's like, look, it's not good. Let me tell you what's happening while you're up here. So in verse seven, we pick up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Anybody ever call you stiff-necked? It's bad news. So it's kind of a reference to an animal, an ox or a horse uh, that's disobedient or hard to control. An ox that is working a field that's stiff-necked is difficult. My daughter Mallory, who rides horses, will tell you that going on a trail ride with a stiff-necked horse isn't an easy thing. 
So listen to this in verse 10. This is God. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I may consume them in order that I might make a great nation of you. So pause there for a second. So here we see Moses, who is Israel's hero. He had led God's people out of Egypt, and he begins to intercede on behalf of God's people. And he pleads with God. That's what we're going to see beginning in verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out? to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger. Relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14 finishes like this. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So I want you to see something here in this reading. I want you to see how quickly God's people were wooed away from him. How impatient they had become. How quickly they had given up on God and on Moses. We can shake our head in disbelief for their disobedience, especially because all God had done for them We can judge them if we want to, but we're just like them. Our culture cares not about our creator. And the culture that God's people had just come from didn't keep God in his rightful place either. Impatient with God and frustrated with his timing, we too search and we seek someone or something else to give our time, attention, and love to. Like the golden calf, we continuously consume, hoping that something shiny is going to make us sincerely happy. We read here that God's wrath burned hot against them. He was going to destroy them. But, see, our God, he's a gracious God. And he's a merciful father. A God worthy and deserving of our honor and our praise alone. God is jealous for us. He commanded us clearly not to have false gods, not to have things that we place in his position. Last week, Pastor Adam shared a verse with you that says, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. So I ask you, what do you love? I read a quote recently that said, the deepest desire of the heart is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. What do your daily life and habits say about your deepest desire? What is the first thing you do each morning? What is the last thing you do before you go to bed? I'll confess to you, my habit, my ritual, my routine is to look at social media. Before my day has even began and my feet hit the floor, I lay in a dark bedroom, squinting through sleepy eyes, searching through Facebook. Searching for what? I don't know, but that's my practice. It's not prayer. It's not looking through a devotion. It's not trying to find something that I can share that's uplifting to my family before they go to school or to work. 
It's not sending an encouraging text to someone else that may be hurting, may feel distant, disconnected from God to encourage them and lift them up. No, for me, it's Facebook first. In a 2011 study on the effect of what they called super brands, think about Facebook or Apple, neuroscientists and researchers made an interesting discovery. When they viewed the brain activity of what they called product fanatics, they found that the product of choice of these individuals was triggering in the brain the same bits of the brain that religious imagery trigger in the mind of a person of faith. Their conclusion, this is your brain on Apple, it looks like it's worshiping. Worshiping. It's a word that we usually reserve for what goes on in this place. But here, it's being associated with a product or social media platform of your choice. Some Sundays you may be here, especially when it's raining, not really wanting to be here, going through the motions. Maybe you were nagged or dragged. Uh, and that's okay. You may have walked in this morning and said, great. It's the uh, fat bald intern again. Where's Pastor Adam? That's all right. But do you ever leave here on certain Sundays and feel refreshed and renewed, re-energized, ready for the week ahead? I do. I sincerely hope you do. The words of God that we hear and that are shared by my friend, Pastor Adam, they resonate with me. Coming down here to the altar to take Holy Communion reminds me just how much Jesus loved me that he would give his body and shed his blood for the likes of me. I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in this historic place. Do you ever feel that way when you finish looking at social media? I don't. I don't feel closer to God. I don't feel connected to others, not in a real way. Instead, I just want to kind of say bad words under my breath. It's usually the, the excessive political posts, the divisiveness, the hate, the dancing. I'm sorry, but the ridiculous dancing. It all robs me of peace and joy before my day even begins. And then at night, the blue light floods my mind and my thoughts, and it frustrates me, keeping me from a deep sleep. Yes, we were made for love. The question is, what do you love? Our habits, our routines, and our rituals, they get a hold of our heart and they aim our love. Is your love aimed at the Lord or does it land somewhere else? If like me, you would confess and you discover that uh, perhaps my love is aimed somewhere other than the Lord, there is hope. And here's some good news. Just as we see Moses in our reading today interceding on behalf of God's people, Jesus is our Moses, interceding on our behalf with God the Father. Jesus is inviting all of us in the days and weeks and year to come to cast aside the idols, to give up the worship of people and places and products that will ultimately let us down, leave us feeling empty, unfulfilled, and disconnected from a relationship with God. Like Moses freed God's people from slavery, Christ rescues us 
and frees us from being enslaved to everything that's going to make us feel empty inevitably. I think being here each week with each other is a helpful and healthy practice. I think joining a connect group and doing life with people in that kind of setting is a healthy and helpful practice. I hope you'll make that a continuing habit this year or a new habit if you're not already doing that. My hope is that we can all grow in faith, in relationship with God as we discover more deeply what it is that we love. This is the point where I would normally say a prayer. I'm going to borrow a prayer this morning so you know these aren't my eloquent words. It's a short prayer, uh, but it comes from a 16th century missionary named Francis Xavier. So will you pray with me? O oh God, grant that we may desire you, and desiring you, seek you, and seeking you, find you, and finding you, be satisfied in you alone forever. Amen. As we continue our worship, uh, last week I shared with you that today I was going to do something kind of fun. Um, if you have been joining us through the month of December, uh, we talked about this thing called Cultivate Community. It's our annual initiative that we set out. How do we change our community and in turn the community of people who live and work and play near us? And so we set out with a goal in our Cultivate Community uh, initiative as the year came to a close, moving into the start of this year. And the goal was that every person who called the point their home would intentionally make a practice, a practice of participating financially and saying, I want to help accomplish the things the point is doing. And so we had a goal of 100% participation, which is always really lofty, and I was greatly encouraged by what actually happened. You ready to see it? All right, three of you are ready. The rest of you don't care. That's okay. For the three of you, here you go. When we set out with 100% participation, 48% of us participated in some way, either by creating a new or increased recurring gift to sustain our costs going forward every week, or by giving a special year-end gift to help us accomplish some of the really big things we plan on doing this year. If you remember, I talked about our expansion of West Fifth Studios, the art studios we have, and wanting to add room to add seven to nine more artists and be able to serve that community better. I talked about other ways that we were going to go out into the community and, and host people with block parties and fun things. And thanks to your generosity, you ready to know how much you guys raised over the course of this last month? 31000 $316 above and beyond usual giving. That's extra generous to say we believe in what's happening. We're excited for what's to come. And the best part of this is that it wasn't just about finances. There were several of you who said, I don't have much to give right now, but I can give some time. Several of you who've already begun the process of prepping walls and putting paint on walls, so already right now we can start the process of expanding West Fifth. As we continue in 2022 with uh, connecting the disconnected and reaching our community around us, it's going to require all of us to participate in some way through giving our time or our finances or even through giving our energy to say, how can I use my talents to serve and bless others? So for all of you who have already participated, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. It is your generosity 
that helps us as the point not be about this building and about our gathering, but to be about our city and our community, to cultivate in the hearts and the lives of everybody, wherever we meet, a sense of purpose, a sense of friendship, a sense of love. Thank you so much for joining us in this. Now, as we collect an offering today, if you came prepared to give an offering, uh, you're welcome to do that with cash and check. If you're somebody who prefers cash and check, you can put it in the popcorn bucket as you exit. Uh, along with that physical connect card, if you filled out a means that we can be praying for you or if you would like us to connect with you for the first time and, and you've shared your information, you can put that card and your offering in the bucket. Or if you came prepared today to give and you'd like to give online, you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Are you ready? Ready. All right, so this is the part of the service where usually I respond to questions, but now you get them. And uh, I keep telling you guys to give all the tough ones to him. Please don't. So far, nobody's listened. Good. All right. So here we go. Here's the first one. What are your thoughts on Christian icons being considered idols? Christian icons be considered idols. I guess it depends on your definition of icon. I guess my response would be, you know, if you have an image of St. Paul in your house, that's not inherently a bad thing. I don't think God's mad at you for that. But I think anything that takes ultimate attention and authority away from God himself is a bad thing. So icons across the board, is it a bad thing? No, I think it really depends upon what we're doing with those icons. Thanks. I thought you were going to add something really more insightful. Or like, no. Okay. You got it. Okay. Well done. Cool. Come on, give him the tough no, questions. No. There's still time. I'll read them. <laughs> All right, so this next one's not so much a question, but a series of questions that can be helpful in discovering what are your idols. So Pastor Rick Warren wrote this, and it hit me hard years ago. Uncovering your hidden idols. What occupies your mind? What do you spend most of your time daydreaming about? What do you tend to be jealous of? What do you tend to spend most of your time doing? Where does the majority of your money go? If you're wondering what your idols are, those are some wonderful questions to maybe lead you in that direction. Yeah, it can be very convicting. I think two things, looking at your check register, at least for me, check register my calendar. What am I doing, where's my money going? That's a pretty good indication of where my heart is. So if you are still not quite sure where do you start with your idols, the next couple of weeks we're going to be diving into if you discover you love the wrong thing, how do you change your loves? How do you begin to love the right things in a new way? And I'm excited for that. Thank you for uh, sharing the word today. That is uh, all the questions. So again, they were pretty easy for you. Thank you. Do you want to finish with the benediction today? I'd love to. Awesome. Now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life 
or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. 